we continue in our series that we've entitled Exploring Ecclesiology. And we've been looking uh, for the past couple weeks at uh, the study of the church, trying to understand uh, what God wants us to know about His church. Uh, Last week we talked about the marks of a healthy church, looking at at us as a whole and saying, what does a healthy church look like? What are the activities that a healthy church involves itself in? What are the types of programs, what are the types of distinctives and characteristics are imperative for a church not just to be any old church, but to be a healthy and vibrant church? And so we spent some time looking at a very famous passage in Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, uh, where it tells us that this church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It says, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day this church would continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together as a church with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And it's said that this church grew. It says at the end of this great passage that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what we looked at last week, the corporate nature of the church and the things that need to be a part of a healthy church. But today I want to flip that coin and look at us as individuals. What makes up the corporate church are a bunch of individual Christians. And so today I want to look at the idea of church membership. I want to look at what it means to be a covenant member within a local body of believers. Uh, But before we do that, let's go to the Word of God. Uh, I'm sorry, before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into God's Word. Father God, we come before you, and we thank you for what you have shared with us this morning. Father, we are reminded of your immense power uh, this morning as we look, and, and, and just by the creation of moisture, uh, the fog that you bring in uh, to our world and what it can do, just, uh, just Lord, you creating a mixture of the weather patterns can change what would be a clear day uh, to make it incredibly uh, different and amazing nonetheless. Father, we praise you for who you are, just as been prayed already. We thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. But Lord, I pray for us as a church, just as we sang that the church would arise, that we would take our place as the change agent that you've called us to be, as to be the light in a world of darkness, to be a city on a hill. Father, to do such things, to live in such a way, calls for us to humbly dedicate ourselves to you, to submit to your authority, to follow your Spirit's leading. And Lord, for us to be a church like that, we must be a people Not looking at the one next to us or our spouses or our children, but looking at our own lives, Father, that we would be upright and holy. That we would live as you've called us to live. That we would submit to you, our Lord and Savior. That we would live out your word on a daily basis. Father, healthy churches are filled with healthy Christians. And Lord, I know that there are many today who have come who are broken Many who have come and have struggled with sin all week long. 
Father, remind us that that is why your grace is enough for us. So that we may recognize that it isn't about us, but it is about you who sits on the throne high and lifted up. It is you who we worship, praise and adore, because you sent your son Jesus to die for sinners like me. So Lord, open our eyes and open our ears so that we may hear your word this morning and understand what it means to be a part of the whole. Father, that we would join together like the body that you have called us to be, fitted together with joints and ligaments and tendons, all doing their part. So again, you would be brought glory and honor this morning. We give it to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of our souls. We love him and we praise him this morning in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. When I first started catering, taking over for the, uh, my parents' business, I was a young man. I took over at around eight, 19 years of age. I think I hadn't turned 19 yet. But I took over a ma and pa uh, catering company. We weren't serving that many people. Probably somewhere in the neighborhood of twelve to 13,000 meals uh, a year. It sounds a little more than what the normal household kitchen would serve. But, uh, but that was about what we were doing. And uh, I had usually um, one or two weekends a month that were really busy. And for me, a busy uh, day, I, I laugh at this because uh, these would be days off for me today, but uh, where I would have three, maybe four events going on at a given time. And I remember just having to always be looking for people. Well, as a new uh, business uh, manager, uh, money wasn't always the greatest. And so you always wanted to keep your payroll down. And so what I would do is I would ask friends and, and uh, family to come and help out uh, when they could. And that worked for a while. People would volunteer. I would give them some food after they were all done. Uh, but what began to happen was, is I began to notice as people would volunteer and say, yeah, I, I could help you that day. Sure, I'd be able to uh, meet you uh, at that place to help you do the, the cooking and the serving. What began to happen was, is people would start calling at the last minute and saying, you know what? Something's come up. I'm not able to be there. I'm sorry, but, uh, but my, my boss says I have to work that day. I'm sorry, but my wife says we've got a wedding to go to, and I'd be caught. There was no one to depend on. And I remember having a long conversation with my dad and saying, Dad, d- gone are the days of volunteers. Gone are the days of family. I need to know who I can commit, uh, who's committed to me, and who I can depend on to get the job done. I remember one time uh, I had uh, two individuals on a crew of four not show up because of a last-minute thing that came up. And because of that, the two individuals that went on a job were overwhelmed, and I lost that event because I was understaffed. And it was because of this I came to the conclusion something had to change. Well, in the business world, we, we all recognize you don't work with volunteers, We recognize that uh, if you were to have to volunteer for your work, there would be a lot of you who would would show up when you want to. You would would, uh, go when you feel that you need to. You would take the time off whenever you had to. And volunteering wouldn't be all that helpful. Your boss would never get what he wants accomplished. And so what do we do? As employers, we covenant with you. We say we will give you money if you accomplish the tasks that we have, and there's a covenant relationship. 
Now, if that covenant is broken by one or the other, uh, then the covenant is broken and we, we go our separate ways. But I'm so glad. In fact, right now I've got a couple crews that are heading out this morning. And I'm so glad I'm not even there. And yet because of this covenant I have with my employees, uh, they're out doing events. And I don't have to worry. I, I always worry a little bit. But you don't have to worry that they're there because they want to get paid. They want to accomplish the covenant because it's important to them. Well, in the business world, that's easy. But how about in a church? How about in a volunteer organization? Now, I know there are some of you who think we should be paying you to be here. I know that, you know, that might be good. In fact, there was a church in Atlanta, Georgia, a couple years ago that would pay their people $25 a Sunday to attend. It worked for a couple while, uh, for a while until the board of trustees said they couldn't give out any more money because they were losing money on the deal. And so church is not about getting money. Church is voluntary, a volu- uh, in a volunteer way. It's to be done uh, on your own free will. We can't pay, we can't force. I can't get uh, up and drive to your house and bang on your door. Well, I could, and maybe that might help some of you get up and out of the door on time. But I, I can't bang on the door and grab you out of your bed and say, you have to be at church. I just have to trust that God's working in your life and that you understand the importance of church and that you will attend. Uh, But one thing to attend, another is to minister. How do you get a group of volunteers to minister together, to serve together, to put long hours of time and energy into the ministry? Well, this is when we begin to talk about the subject of church membership. Now, I know that for some of you, this is a hotly debated topic. For some, you will say, well, Tim, it's not in the Bible. And so why should you talk about anything that isn't in the Bible? Well, we have all day. We've talked about Sunday school. Can anybody tell me where Sunday school's at in the Bible? It's not there. We talk about uh, things like ABF and equipping you and small groups. and, And nowhere do you see those things in the Bible. But they're not debated. They say, of course, those are very active. I'll even tell you, Awana is not in the Bible. Some people think it is, but it just isn't there. It's not there. And so when we talk about things uh, that aren't in the Bible, it's not a sin. I'll even tell you, the word Trinity isn't found in the Bible. The cardinal doctrine of uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit but it's clear throughout many passages of Scripture that that is how we have to know and understand who God is. And so not everything that we understand or hold to be true in the Scriptures are spelled out explicitly. Sometimes we see them in an implicit nature. You see, uh, in week one, we looked at the church, and we began to look at how the church was broken up into two ways. First of all, we saw the invisible universal church. The church that only God sees, remember? And while all believers, let me say that again, while all Christians are a part of the universal, invisible church, there is a part that the Bible stresses so incredibly important that all believers during their time here on earth be a part of a local church. The local church, this is written down in the couple paragraphs in your outline, is simply a definable group of people 
who gather together on the basis of their commitment to the Lord, who have identified themselves to one another. Simply put, a local church is a group of Christians who have gathered together, who have identified themselves as a group, and that's who we are. We're Village Bible Church. We've identified ourselves. And then we've identified ourselves by being held accountable to those around us. Now, some may say, well, Tim... Uh, membership isn't all that important because it doesn't involve salvation. You're absolutely correct. Uh, membership, and I want to say this twice, membership at Village Bible Church does zilch for your eternal place in glory or in hell. It doesn't involve that. And as I said in week one, if you think you're going to go to heaven and say, I, I went to Village Bible Church... You better be ready for God to hit the down button on the elevator if you think that's what's going to get you there. It just doesn't work that way. Because as we learned in week one, while the universal and invisible church is full of believers and only believers, we know that the local church can have believers and unbelievers alike in it. So where are we to begin to understand this uh, understanding of uh, membership within the church? I want to go back to the passage that we looked at, Acts chapter 2. And I want to look at the passage right before where I read. And this is what it says in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ... Now, when he says this, the people hear this, and they were cut to the heart and said, Peter and and the other apostles, brother, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off. It's a welcome mat, any of you. It says, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Verse 40 says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. What is their response? Notice verse 41. This is important. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, the first thing we need to understand is at the beginning of the church, we see a, a level of church membership. Now, notice what it says in the text. It says that uh, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added. That means that the church on that day of Pentecost was 3,120. We had 120 in the upper room at the beginning of the day of Pentecost who were followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. The church grows from 120 to 3,120. And what does it say? It says that the Lord added them to their number. Now it's important we look at that word there. T-H-E-I-R or I-R-E. Which one is it? Come on. All right, you're awake. Let's keep going. Okay? Some of you are yawning out there and wanted to stop and get you back there. Okay? Now in Acts chapter 2, they're added to whose number? God's number? Were those 3,000 added to God's number? Yes or no? Help me out. Yes, they're children of God. They accepted the message. They're baptized. And yes, even though the scripture does not say it, they're added to the family of God. But who does it say they're added to? Not God's number, not heaven's number, not the Lamb's book of life's number. 
but to their number. Who are the there that we need to understand? Who are they? They're the 120 that were there in the upper room. The first remnant, if you will, that would start the church. So who are added? The 3,000. To whose number? To the church's number. The universal church? No. Their number, the church in Jerusalem. Now, before we go on, now that we recognize that there is an adding to a number within the church, we need to understand uh, for some here today who, who may be struggling saying, well, Tim, I, I know there's a lot of members at Village Bible Church, and, and we do have uh, quite a few members. I believe our membership role is somewhere around 190 members. That would be uh, anyone 18 years and older uh, who would be a part of the church, who has joined the church as a member, about 190 of them are there, and of course those represent children and families as well. Uh, but we have a lot of members, but, but in this room right now, there are many who may not be members. And I want to talk about why you may not be a member. Number one, write these down. You may not be a member because you're new to the church. Maybe you're new to Village Bible Church. You're checking churches out. And you've come here today and you're looking at all that's going on and you're trying to discern, is this where God would have us? Maybe it's because you've moved into the area and you find yourself uh, looking for a new church. Maybe it is uh, that there was uh, uh, maybe some discontent or even uh, some uh, struggles or issues with your former church. Even better than those two things, maybe you've come because someone has led you to Christ and told you that it's important for you to be a part of a local church. And so you find yourself new in this church experience. And so my advice to you is this. Village isn't for everybody. We recognize and understand that. And so what we tell people is if you like what you see, if you feel that you can covenant with us, then you are more than welcome to be a part. We're welcoming all who the Lord will bring to this place. But... We know that not all will say that village is the place. And so I want to give you just a couple things you need to look for in a church. Number one, look for a church that preaches and teaches the word of God as its authority. Look for a church that preaches and teaches the word of God. If you find a preacher that's preaching out of a magazine or a newspaper or dealing with the political issues of today and not dealing with the word of God, I will tell you it's not the right place to be. Number two, make sure that you look for a church that glorifies God. That the church is not in and of itself all about what it is doing, but it's always pointing to God and saying, God, you are the reason why we do these things. God, you are the one who receives the applause. God, you are the one that we are dependent on. And so we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. Number three, look for a church that helps equip you for the works of service that God has called you to. A church is not to be a group of spectators who watch the staff or the elders uh, go around running like chickens with their heads cut off trying to accomplish the works of service. And so you want to look for a church that it looks like people are using their gifts. Because if that's the case, and not just using their gifts in any old way, but using their gifts in a real way of calling, that they look like they're enjoying themselves, that they didn't get suckered into doing something and they sit there and say, ah, I hate teaching Sunday school class or, or I hate being an usher or I hate working in the sound booth or even worse, I hate preaching. 
If you've got people that are just serving and they say things or they look like they're not enjoying themselves, then they probably have not been equipped in their area of calling. And you want to find a church that will take you and will grow you and will give you the necessary resources to accomplish your calling that you have. That's what we need to be looking for in a church. And finally, a church that sends them out to evangelize the world. That sends the people out. That they see them active, involved in the community. That you hear from the pulpit on a regular basis the need to evangelize the lost. That you hear from a church that says it's not just about Sugar Grove and the Fox Valley area, but it's to the uttermost parts of the world that we're called. And so we're going to partner with others that we call missionaries to accomplish the work in places that many of us have never been. I said it was the final one. There's one more. And that is you need to be a part of a church that holds you accountable to these things. That holds you accountable. That interacts with you and, and asks sometimes the tough questions and encourages you when you're, when you're struggling and, and corrects you when you're wrong. These are, if you will, five things you need to be looking for in a church. And so if some of you are not members of a church because you're new, uh, to this experience or to this locale. Number two, maybe it's because of ignorance. Maybe it's because of ignorance. You've never understood or may have never been taught, uh, the meaning and the need for membership. And therefore, you've never pursued it. Uh, My advice to you this morning is listen intently to today. You're not going to get every week at Village Bible Church. In fact, this is the first sermon I know of that I've preached specifically on the issue of church membership. So it doesn't happen very often, but it is nonetheless a very important thing. So listen and understand what the Word of God says about this subject. Number three, you may just be plain busy. You have planned on becoming a member. But you just haven't, you just haven't put it on the calendar. It's been put on the back burner. My advice to you, it's important that you covenant with us. It's important that you interact with us. And it doesn't take a lot. It takes a a couple hours of a class where you learn about the church. Our chairman of our elder team, Al Gonerman, leads that. We feed you lunch and then we send you off with him. And he has just a whole uh, booklet that he works through that moves very quickly, that allows you to ask questions and understand what the church is all about and the vision and the plan that we have not only for the world, but for you as an individual. And so it doesn't take a lot. It involves then an interview uh, that just articulates your ability to articulate that you are a believer. We want to make sure that all of our members are a part of the invisible universal church before we have them enter into the local church. Well, then the final one is, is that it may not be ignorance. It may not be time. It may not be that you're new to the church. You may just not believe in church membership. This goes back, of course, that the membership idea isn't in the Bible. And you're absolutely right. No, it never says thou shalt be a member or else. It doesn't say that. It'd be a lot easier to preach this message if that was the case, but it doesn't say that. And so I want to lovingly challenge those that differ with me on this to ask the question. You're right, the Bible doesn't say that you have to be a member, but what parts of membership do you have struggles with? Looking in our bulletin this morning at the membership covenant that we have, what part of that do you say is unbiblical? What part of that do you say goes against the Word of God? It says that they covenanted together. They, they interacted together as close-knit family. Well, what, what part of saying, I identify that I'm a part of the family uh, of Village Bible Church? No different than me saying as I go around and tell people I'm a part of the Bedal family. I don't just say my name is Tim. 
I say, my name's Tim Bedall. I identify myself with the greater Bedall family. Even if I don't agree with everything that the Bedall family does, even if I uh, would even in some way say that I don't uh, want to do in many ways what my, some of my extended family do, but I identify myself with them. I know for some it's as a result of a bad encounter. It's an issue with an elder or a pastor. Don't allow the sin of one to keep you from obeying what God says in the New Testament about being a part of a local church. So listen, interact wherever you're at this morning at what we're going to say. Well, let's look at the first point. Now that you know I'm an advocate for church membership, how do I defend my position? Number one, we need to look at the biblical reasons for church membership. The biblical reasons. In a day where commitment is a rare commodity, it is no surprise that church membership finds itself as such a low priority here in our world today. Sadly, we live in a church where Christians find themselves going from one church to another. In fact, Joshua Harris of uh, Covenant Life Church in Maryland, he wrote the, the book, uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, if you remember that, uh, that book that was written. He wrote a, a second book on a different subject other than dating, but dating was still involved in it. And he has the title, it says, Stop Dating the Church. Stop dating the church. And in this book, what he articulates is the phenomenon that we have as people today, especially in America because of our uh, materialistic and and market-driven understanding that it's all about the consumer. And so what happens is, is as you enter in as an American into church, this is not seen in any other part of the world but here in America, that people come in and instead of joining the body of Christ and saying, what part do I have? They say, what does this church do for me? And so just as we look at at the workout facilities we're going to have and the insurance agents that we're going to have and the grocery stores that we're going to go to and the department stores saying, does it service my needs? Does it meet my needs? If it doesn't, I'll go find somewhere else. Notice I never said when you look for a church that you look for a church that just meets your needs. There's something wrong with us looking for a church that meets our needs. In a lot of ways, village doesn't meet my needs. But that doesn't mean I don't commit. That's like saying that Amanda's going to meet all my needs. She's not going to, and she's an incredibly awesome wife. But she's unable to do that. Because I'm fickle. My needs are going to change. My desires are going to change. And so I have to look for someone who isn't just going to meet my every whim but one who is committed to me and saying, I'm going to do all that I can to make you the man that God wants you to be. I'm going to be the kind of woman that allows you to be the husband and the father you need to be, even if that doesn't meet the needs that I think I have. And so there's this world, this culture out here in America that says, well, the church is about me. No, understand this. The church is not about you or me. It's about Jesus Christ. That's who it's all about. And so when we look, be very careful that we don't look, well, well, does the church offer this or does the church offer that? Now, there are times, and I'll tell you, uh, we came to Village, my family did some 20 years ago, for the very fact that my parents saw an incredible need for their three boys to have a strong student ministry. Now, what my parents did not look for, please understand, was all the bells and whistles of what they thought a youth ministry looked like. In fact, my dad never saw the youth ministry uh, in, in person before we started attending Village. 
He catered a mother-daughter banquet here. In the old kitchen, he met a man named John Avery. And John Avery sat there as he opened the door for my dad. And my dad heard this man's heart and his desire to pour into young people. And my dad came home, and I've told you the story before. He said, we have found our new home. We have found someone who will help partner with us in making our boys who we believe God wants them to be. We didn't see what trips they went on. We didn't see anything about what they do, what water parks they go to, and and how big it was. There were no answers to those questions. It was, can we as a family grow? And can we use our gifts? And boy, because this church poured into us, we've poured into this church. Every member of my family has had an active part at Village Bible Church. That's what church membership is all about. You pouring into me and me pouring into you. And a constant, if you've ever seen, the best way to look at church membership is the following. You ever go to weddings, not catered by 5Bs, of course, because we don't have these things, but those fountains that just keep filling themselves and they go to the bottom and they work their way, it goes this way, I guess, up to the top and it keeps working its way down. And what it is, is you, you sit there and say, where is it coming from? It's replenishing itself from itself. And so it just continues to circulate. You look at those fountains the next time. I want you to think about Village Bible Church. As you pour into one, it pours into another, and it pours into another, and it keeps going until it comes up and it pours back into you. I'll tell you, on Sunday mornings, I'm exhausted. By the time we're all said and done, I'm tired. Now people say, well, Tim, you, you, the average sermon's 30 minutes. You preach sometimes an hour, and that's four sermons. Well, you're right. That is four sermons, okay? And I'm tired, but what I'll tell you is the thing I love about Village Bible Church is that I don't leave empty. I leave filled because someone else is pouring into me. And even though I'm not getting to hear a sermon, I'm able to be filled in other ways. And so I'm able to use my gifts because you are filling me as I fill you. And so we need to understand that it isn't about us, but there's a biblical reason for it. What are the biblical reasons? If it's not about us, if membership isn't about just gaining a whole bunch of people to be a part of us, then why would we recognize this phenomenon as being important? The first thing we need to look at is the example of the, of the church, the early church. The example of the early church. In the early church, it was clear in the book of Acts that coming to Jesus meant coming uh, to the church. Nowhere did we have, and I, I don't want to badmouth the man, uh, but nowhere did we have the Billy Grahams of, of the New Testament. If you were an evangelist, you were connected to a church. Now, Billy Graham is a great evangelist, but that's part of the problem that we have in Western culture is that we have a lot of groups of individuals and people who work outside of the church. And the problem with that is, is, is that while they're effective, you know, and there's, there's a lot of ministries that do this, Campus Crusade, the Navigators, there's a lot of different groups that do these things and they're effective. The problem is, is what it begins to teach people, if we're not careful, is that you don't need the church. You just need an organization. Let me tell you something. When you accept me, you don't just accept Tim Bedall, but you accept my wife. My wife and I are one. If you don't like my wife, you're probably not going to get a lot of time with me. I know there's a lot of you that don't like me, and I keep telling Amanda that means don't give them a lot of time, but she, she still hangs out with y'all, okay? 
But that's likewise with the church. You can't say you love Jesus and not his bride. You can't say, well, I'm all about Jesus in my own walk with Jesus, but I can't, can't take the people that are a part of his church. There's a lot of people who say, I'll take Jesus, but I won't take Christians. You can't do that. No matter how bad the circumstances around your church involvement have been. Now notice what it says. To be a Christian meant to be a part of a church. Notice what they say. Those who accepted his message and were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now notice the next word, they. Who are the they? Those who accepted the message, those who were baptized, those that were added. They devoted themselves, and then it goes on as we've read already. It says, those that were added to this thing called the church, the bride of Christ, devoted themselves. This is the example that we see. We don't see someone going and being a part of that great crusade in Acts chapter 2 when it comes to uh, Peter's message to the people and they walk away and say, you know what, that was a great sermon and now I'm just going to go home and I'm going to do church at home by myself. And I'll just try to do it myself because I don't, I don't like everybody that was a part of that crusade. I, I don't want to be a part of it. So don't add me to your number. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to do this on their own. No, they're a part of the church and they devoted themselves to that church. The second thing that we see in regards to this example is that most of the New Testament is written uh, to specific people in certain churches. Write these passages down. Uh, we see uh, the book uh, of First and Second Thessalonians is written to the church of Thessalonica. We see the, the book of Romans, the Magna Carta, if you will, of the gospel of Jesus Christ is written to the church in Rome. We see uh, the church of, uh, of the Paul, uh, Pauline letters that we see uh, of uh, Philippians is written to the church in Philippi, the church in uh, Col- or the Colossians is written to the church in Colossae. Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. We have all these different churches that are being written to. If God didn't believe in local churches, if God didn't believe in local assemblies of people, why would he have spent the predominant time of the New Testament writing to those people? In fact, it even says in a couple passages, write these down, in Acts 18.27, Romans 16.1, and Acts 15.17, Paul gives recommendations to people in those churches to accept people as their members. He says, hey, Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, uh, she is good, accept her. In Acts 18, it speaks about the importance of welcoming into your assembly a certain individual that Paul says is helpful to the gospel. If we don't have members to join a part of, why are we giving letters of recommendation about people who need to join an existing church? Number two, we see the importance of of church membership and the existence of church government. We know that the Bible is clear that there are to be elders that are to serve godly men who serve together, who oversee the church, who shepherd the flock, who labor among the people, who have charge over the people, who are to keep watch over their souls. Well, as an elder, who am I to do that with? Now, that's a lot of stuff. In fact, the kicker is, and this one, there are some verses that I absolutely am fearful of. And uh, I believe it's Hebrews 13, 17 says, and I think it's 1 Peter chapter 5, tells me that as an elder, and I'm not the only one, I'll be up there with some of the other elders from this church, 
that I will be held accountable for the flock under my care. I don't like that. I had a young pastor, he's not much younger than me, but newer into the ministry, and he said, Tim, he says, I, I want to have a church your size. And I said, well, how big's your church? He says, 20 people. He says, that's not very big. I said, that's 19 more than we can handle as human beings. That's 19 more than I want to be held accountable for on the day of judgment. I only want to worry about myself. But the Bible says as an elder, I'm accountable for a group of people. Who are those people? Am I accountable for the, every person that's walked into this place today who has said, uh, maybe I'm looking at the church that one day I'll get up to heaven and, and thank God that Keith puts together the name tags because I'll be able to remember their name. And they'll, God will say, well, they came to your church one Sunday. You're accountable for them. What did you do for them? I said, I never saw them. They went out the gym door. Who am I accountable to? Who are the elders accountable to? This may offend some people, but it has to be a defined group of people. It can't just be everybody. And so we need to be very careful that there has to be a a commitment for the leadership to say, we commit to you, and there has to be a commitment on the other side of the people that say, we commit to you as elders. There has to be a definable group. And some will struggle with that. And you'll say, well, now you're making two classes of people. No, I'm not. We're all Christians. But I'm accountable to a certain group of people for certain things. And I need to make sure that I do that. I need to take charge. I need to serve. Now, that doesn't mean that when a non-member comes to me and says, Tim, can, can I talk to you about a certain situation? I say, go see Al Gonerman, get your membership thing signed and come back and see me. No one, and I will make this emphatic, no non-member. There have been people that have been here one Sunday who I've devoted a whole Sunday to because they are brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll invest our time. We'll shepherd. We'll love you. But at some point, we have to understand who is our group of people that God has called us to serve. When we look at the issue of church government, we have to understand there's a definable group of people. Number three, we need to understand that it involves the exercise of church discipline. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Timothy 5, Titus chapter 3 are all passages that deal with church discipline. All these passages presuppose that the church knows who are theirs. If it wasn't, then what right do we have to discipline them? Now, think about this. You get home today... And Erwin Lutzer is on the phone from Moody Church, and he calls you and says, hey, we gathered in Chicago today, and we are going to put you under church discipline. What would your response be? Well, Erwin, I love your, uh, your sermons on WMBI radio, but are you out of your mind? You don't know me. I don't know you. How can you say that? How can you put me under a church discipline? We can't do that. And so we have to have, again, a group of people who have committed themselves, who have covenanted themselves as being a people who are going to live certain ways that are are prescribed, if you will, in Scripture. And so we have to then, if people say they're going to do something, I can't, I can't discipline someone. I can exhort them. I can rebuke them. If I see them doing something in the parking lot, they shouldn't. This is their first Sunday there. The last thing I can do, the only thing I can really do is say, hey, um, stop doing that. And if you're going to continue to do that, do that somewhere else. But I can't bring it to the church. I can't come in here and say, hey, uh, this guy named Bob was out in the parking lot and he was doing such and such. We need to discipline him. 
Well, what if he never comes back? How do we do that? How do we bring forth restoration and, and repentance? How do we do that? Unless we know them and they have covenanted with us and say, yes, if I fall in error, then I want you to discipline me. It's in our membership covenant. It says, uh, this, is, this is how serious I am, how accountable I am to you and the people of VBC. The final thing is the exhortation for mutual care. The New Testament is filled with one another commands. It's important for believers to be accountable, for believers to exercise their gifts, to be assembling together. How can we live out these things? How can we spur one another on towards love and good deeds? How can we uh, not allow the forsaking of people to our assembly unless we know who have identified themselves as being a part of our assembly? Now remember, I said we've got about 200 adults or a little there less than that uh, that are part of the membership of our church. We have more than uh, 700 who are a part of our church family. And Keith, we every week we get a, a, uh, uh, an attendance log of, of who was here and who wasn't. And we've got some people that we don't know, know any reason why, but they'll be gone 40 weeks at a time. In fact, one of those names was here just two weeks ago. And I praise God for it. But there's no accountability. How can I get up on the phone and say, hey, you got to show up to church if they're only here once every 40 weeks? What, what again, what covenant do I have with them to articulate that? But if one of our members articulates or, or doesn't start showing up, I can go to them and say, hey, you said that you wanted to attend here. This was your plan to attend here, to be engaged in this. I want to talk with you. Why aren't you here? What's going on? Is, is there a problem? Is there is an issue we can deal with? You've committed. You've said you're here. So when you're not here, it's out of the ordinary. We need to deal with it. These are important things we have to understand when it comes to church membership. It's important. Church membership is useful for the people of God and the church of God because it carries out implications of how and whom we are to serve. Second thing we need to understand once we understand the biblical reasons, are the biblical requirements. What are the requirements for being a church member? What is required for this? There are three things that the Bible makes clear. Look at Acts chapter 2. It says in verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Three requirements that you need to have. Number one, you need to be an individual who has affirmed, who has affirmed the message of salvation. You have to be one who has affirmed the message of salvation. Write that down in your outlines. Notice what the text says. It says that those who accepted the message, his message, those who accepted the message, the first requirement for Village Bible Church membership, and it should be for all churches, is that you be saved. Now you say, now, why would you think any different? Well, there are churches that will. How many have heard the name Jonathan Edwards? Okay, sinners in the hands of an angry God. If you were a junior and you in, in a United States public school, uh, almost everybody read that sermon. Sinners in the hands of an angry God, written by Jonathan Edwards, who lived uh, near Boston, and he uh, served in a church with his father-in-law, a man by the name of Pastor Stoddard. And there was a church split. And the issue of the church split was that his father-in-law said, allow anybody and everybody into the church. It doesn't matter who they are, believer or non-believer. 
And Edward says, wait a minute. How can you be a part of the family of, how can you not be a part of the family of God, but in the local context of that family or that household of God, you can be connected? That doesn't make any sense. And so Edwards writes this whole big treatise on the idea of the importance of a regenerate or a saved church membership. And you know what they do to him? They kick him out of the church. They say, you know what? All right, let's vote on what Pastor Edwards said. And they get done. And with overwhelming, I'm telling you, it was, it was like 80% one way, maybe any more than that, 80 or 90% one way. It was just a small fragment of people that said, yeah, it's important that church membership be saved, be a saved group of individuals. Paul, uh, Luke says in our writing here today that those who accepted the message were added to the church. The second thing that we see is that it needs to involve affirming your faith through baptism. Now, let me just stop right here. We, as a church, at this point in time, do not, how, how ironic, we don't affirm this statement. Because we as a church right now in our constitution say that number one is key, and we would agree with that, I would agree with that. But number two, while I was willing and, and you know, abiding by it, I always struggled with that. Because the text says that those who accepted the message, and help me out, what are those next two words there? Or three words, and what? Let's say it again besides Laurel Wood. What, they accepted his message and were... What does the Bible say they were? Okay, who was added? The ones that accepted the message and those that were baptized. They took them, 3,000 of them, and they went and they, whether they, uh, we don't know where they exactly went, but went to some area and they started baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why would they do that? Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples. How do you make disciples? By baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You say, well, why do you bring all this up? Well, as many of you know, we're working on a church constitution. And the elders feel very passionate that to be a part of the membership of Village Bible Church, that baptism needs to be a requirement, a prerequisite for membership. Now you say, why? Because church membership is the idea of identifying yourself with another, uh, with a group of people. Well, why would we recognize, or I'm sorry, why would we um, identify ourselves with a group of people and not identify ourselves with God? It comes back to that ch- the church uh, as the bride of Christ. Why would we identify with his spouse, but not with Jesus? Baptism is all about saying, I'm with you, Jesus. And we're going to talk more about this next week, but I want you to understand, because we'll be dealing with this issue of baptism, that this is an important part of the membership process. Number three that we need to understand is that it involves active participation with others in church. Knows quickly. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and it goes on. They did this. They did that. Notice what the first part of the text says. They were devoted. The next requirement for church uh, membership isn't that you just sign your name and you're never involved, but that you participate. They were continually steadfast in their working, interaction with one another, serving one another, showing hospitality, giving to areas of need, taking care. There was those that were teaching. There were those that were devoted to that teaching. There were those that were praying. There were those that fellowship. Membership is all about saying, I'm with you and I will serve you as I serve Christ. It involves participation. Point number three this morning. Point number three. 
is the following. Once we see an act of participation, what do we need to know then? What is our response? Turn very quickly to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you're in the book of Acts, go to your right to the book of Romans and Romans chapter 12. There are six things I want to pull very quickly about what your response should be as a member of Village Bible Church. What's our response to be? The first thing we need to understand about our response is as we look at this text, we as members of the church must always be available for service. Notice what verse 1 says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. I used to take this passage as being a singular passage for Tim Bidal, but I noticed this is written to the church. He then says in verse 1, it's written to the brothers. It's a plural understanding. And he says, you, brothers, at the church in Rome, I urge you in view of God's mercy to be available, to be available, to serve. This means daily commitment. This means a willingness to see even the tough times through. To be a good member at VBC, it means daily denying yourself and taking up the cross. The second thing we see is that we need to aim for the approval of God. Notice what it says. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This isn't just uh, saying, well, the church says I'm good. This isn't me just at the end, at the end of the sermon going out to the back door and people saying, good, good sermon, pastor, good sermon. And me saying, oh, I took care of things. But after everybody's gone, when I go into my quiet time and God says, well done, or he says, you know what? You need to do better. That I aim that my work is holy and pleasing to God. Members of Village Bible Church need to be people who seek the approval of God, not men. Verse two tells us we need to be active in accountability. Now notice what the text says. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We need to understand that we don't know when we're conforming. The scripture can tell us when we find ourselves getting into the world. The best way to illustrate that as a bald man is when I shave my head, my wife knows that one of the parts of the... Of the uh, the, what do you call it? The shaving is for me to walk out and stick my head down and say, head check. Am I all good? A couple of weeks ago, I was at a staff meeting and uh, at the end of the staff meeting, Scott Cap came up and he says, you've got a big, long line of hair. You missed. And I'm like, Amanda, she didn't do her job. So this whole day I was walking around like a skunk with this big line in my head. Okay? Why? Because there are things that I cannot see. I don't have eyes like moms do in the back of their heads to see where I missed my my shaving. And so I need others around me to say, you missed the mark. You missed it. That's what we need in the local church. How do we make sure we don't conform to the world? We use the scriptures, yes, but if we're already conforming to the world, then the scripture is going to have a difficult time in really penetrating us. And so that's why the Bible says we need to interact with one another. We need to say, how are you doing in this area? How are you doing in that area? Notice the next thing. It says, assess your abilities. Verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. There are two things, write this down, you can think about that are both sinful. Number one, you can fall to the uh, prey to self-deception, to think that you're the greatest thing in the church. And number two, you can fall to self-deprecation that you're worthless. 
Most of us fall into one of those two extremes many times. We need to think about ourselves in sober judgment. What is my abilities? What are they? How can I use them? Next, we need to accept our assignment. Look at verses 4 through 8. Just as members of each of us has one body with many members, as these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many are one body. Now notice in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace that is given us. It says, if he has prophecy, if a man has a pro- uh, gift of prophecy, let him use it. If it's to serve, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs. The idea here that Paul is saying is in the local church, use your gifts. Use them and use them liberally. If you have the gift, then use it. If you have a gift for working with children, then you need to be the first person that runs up to John and Lori and says, I need to use my gift. I need to serve in this way because that's what the church is all about, accepting the assignment that God has given. Notice the final thing, adopt the right attitude. Verses 9 through 21, give 26, write this down, I want you to look at them later, 26 different attitudes or actions that we're to have. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal. All of these are saying as Christians, as members of the local church, this is what we are to be doing. This is how we're to be able to be serving. We're to love what is good. We are to cling to what is good and run away from what is evil. These are the things that God has called us to. And this is what God wants us to do. You want to be a good member at VBC? Start with Romans 12. Work through that. Interact with what I've just shared with you and make that your priority. One final thing I want to look at is the roadmap for membership. In your bulletins this morning, I don't want to take a lot of time, but what we have done is we have spelled out for you what the membership covenant is. This is a proposed membership covenant that will be in the new constitution. If you'll see on the back all the scriptural support on the things, we do not want to ask you, and I would give you this charge, if you can find something in this membership covenant that you can't find in scripture, I'll be the first one to get out a whiteout and take it out. But I am convinced that everything we require as members are already required within the scriptures. The other thing is, is the process. You want to be a member of the church? There's four steps. Complete a class. Submit an application. Sign and promise to live in accordance with a membership covenant. And then before a team of an elder and another member of the church, declare a personal commitment of faith to Jesus Christ and your commitment to the church. After that, we bring you up here. We give you the right hand of fellowship and you apart are now a part of the membership of Village Bible Church. Take membership seriously. If you want to talk more about it, if you have questions, come talk with me as we continue to explore the church. Understand your part in the church so that we may do what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you. And Lord, as we leave this place, let us be the church. Let us be the body of Christ. Let us serve one another and love one another. Let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Father, let us commit to one another. Now, Lord, I know that there are some who will say, well, I'm not a member. Does that make me a second-class citizen? Absolutely not, Lord. We know that they're a part of your family. But Lord, how good is it to know those who have covenanted with us, who we know we can count on, and those who know that can count on us. Father, what a great understanding. What a great solace in times of difficulty to know there are those who will hold me up. And likewise, I'm responsible to hold up in their times of need. 
Lord, we want to be a church that honors you. We want to be a church that identifies ourselves with you. And so we want to identify with your church in the local assembly of this place. Lord, let this church be a place that will not bring fear into the minds of people when they talk about joining. But it's so healthy and, and so vibrant that people are excited to join with us in the ministry that you've given us. Lord, send us off now to the community relationships of ABF and Sunday school. Allow us to interact with those who will be a part of the second service so we can be the church that you've called us to be. For you are given all the glory, honor, and praise for what happens in your church, and we love giving it to you. So send us off from here with that in mind. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Go and fellowship with one another in the peace of the Lord.